Workday afternoon replay from Money FM 89.3. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Good afternoon and welcome to Market View. I'm Clarissa Montero, joined on this Hump Day Wednesday by JP Ong. Uh, you know, I want to say that things are looking hunky dory, but they are not. Almost across the region, everything is down. Uh, it is except for the Cospi, unless that's changed in the last well, few minutes. Well, there's only a reason why the there's only one reason why the Cospi's in the greens because markets in Korea are not trading today. They're <laughs> servants of Hangul Day, and I, I bet that some of our colleagues over in Seoul are probably going, "Whew, we kind of dodged a bullet." But uh, this could also mean that they're just delaying the inevitable. We could see continued losses. Uh, uh, infect markets in Korea when they reopen tomorrow. But yes, here across the region, everybody is pulling back. The two-day winning streak that saw the STI breach 3,100, that's over. We're back below that uh, that, that that level at 3,092. That's because we've shed about 19 points in today's session. Value turnover, uh, about three, uh, just under 400 million uh, Singapore dollars in the, in, the, in the morning session. So it's a bit thin. It's a bit skittish once again. And markets across, uh, across Asia, as we mentioned, also all trading in the red at different degrees. You've got the Nikkei 225 and the ASX 200 in Tokyo and Sydney, both down by about 0.7%. Markets in Shanghai flat, but to the downside, the Shanghai Composite just, just shed one point so far. Shenzhen Bors down by half a percent. The Hang Seng also down. Look, there's one of the reasons also why, why the sentiment has turned for the worse because of the impending U.S.-China trade talks, but the mood has changed considerably because now it was announced by uh, by the U.S. Commerce by the U.S. State Department and the Commerce Department that they are going they are not going to be issuing visas for certain Chinese uh, officials because of their alleged involvement in these human rights abuses out in the Xinjiang region. So um, I think the question the markets are asking themselves is uh, more or less what, what, why the U.S. is doing this now and why the timing and why doing it so close to the U.S.-China trade talks. Because as we know, it, despite Beijing's uh, hopes and, uh, and the requests that they keep the, talk, the scope of the talks narrow and Trump saying, listen, we want to make a big trade deal. We want a broad, all-encompassing trade deal with China, or else we we we're not interested in making any in in, in negotiations. Well, I didn't know that the uh, you know this also seems to be just a, a convoluting and perhaps just expanding the scope a mm-hmm. little bit too much, and it's happening on the heels of these discussions. The South China Morning Post actually had an interesting. Um, uh, article in the, uh, a report in their stocks blog earlier on today, and they've actually said that speaking on condition of anonymity, one of their sources in China has said that the Chinese delegation may also cut short their stay in Washington D.C. and they and that they're playing down the possibility of a trade deal and any progress moving forward. They might just show up at Washington D.C. and just say, "Hey, how are you? How's the wife?" and go back. And if that does happen, then then there won't be any progress uh, moving forward on the trade war because it, again, this adds some new dimensions to what needs to be resolved. Uh, China has been very sensitive to uh, what they say is uh, interference into their inter- internal affairs. And uh, and this also just uh, just bringing down the prospects of a possible U.S.-China uh, US China trade deal anytime soon. The IMF, and they have a new head, uh, head actually, who's, a, who's, a, who's also a female, Kristalina Georgieva. She actually uh, came out with one of her first reports where they estimated the impact of the U.S.-China trade war on the global economy, they say it's shed, it's it shaved off over seven hundred, uh, f- about seven hundred sixty billion U.S. dollars 
off of the entire global economy, according to Georgieva. And this is the size of the Swiss economy. So if people are trying to monetize the impact of the U.S.-China trade war, well, apparently it's the size of Switzerland, pretty much. So, uh, so I think this is also why you see a lot of these markets across the region just, uh, just stepping back. And Singapore also one of those uh, markets affected so far. I am just wondering why it is that when everyone in the world has been looking so forward to these trade talks, you know, with with even rosaries in their hands. Hoping it is that, October, after all. You know, something good is going is to happen. It is the month of the rosary. That, uh, yes, you're right, and mm-hmm. it is. There's a but, Catholic boy, there's a Catholic <laughs> school training kicking in. Anyway, continue. I know, right? Now you've, now you've distracted me. No, but the, <laughs> the reality is... Why, why is the U.S. side of the negotiations ratcheting up the negativity? Well, it's, you can say that it is, I think, but, the, but uh, to be more accurate, the negativity or the uh, pressure is coming from some of, the, some of the issues that are happening in conjunction or in parallel with these trade talks. So this is uh, more or less a human rights issue, a political issue in some sense. It's uh, overseen by the Justice Department. The Commerce Department also is weighing in on it. But when you look at these issues with regards to these alleged human rights abuses of the of the Muslim minorities in the Xinjiang region, the Uyghur people, um, this it's not entirely economic issue. It's a human rights issue. But it's you can really see here that this is case. This is a perfect example of how political or political uh, events, political instances can actually have a bearing or an impact on economic issues such as these U.S.-China trade talks. So, yes, in some ways, just to be more accurate, yes, it's we, we're not entirely sure why they're doing this so close to it. And uh, for all intents and purposes, many do criticize, for instance, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson of not wanting a Brexit deal mm-hmm. and actually just doing everything you can to make sure that they leave without a Brexit deal. And now the question is, well, does the U.S. really want a, a, a trade deal? Now, a number of analysts have actually said that the U.S. needs to get something because the pressure is on. You're seeing economic headwinds starting to make themselves felt in the U.S. because of the U.S.-China trade war. And sure. perhaps Trump is under the gun to try to create to, to make some progress moving forward. But their actions over the last two days probably indicates the indicates to the country that maybe the Trump administration is also willing to sit back and say, you know what, we want to see these tariffs go, 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 on, go online. We want to see pressure on China and we're not in any hurry to actually achieve a trade deal as against what many other analysts in the markets actually think, unless against what some political strategists in the markets actually think that, hey, you know what, Trump needs this to uh, needs this trade deal so he can uh, bolster support again from some of the affected sectors and industries in the U.S., which is the agricultural sector, mm-hmm. and also to revive their economic uh, the economic outlook of an American economy ahead of the elections. But these last two days, I mean, it's anything but that. It seems that they they are not backing down and they are continuing to turn the pressure on China, not just economically but also with regards to some of these uh, allegations of human rights abuses in the Northwest region. Well, with that 2020 re-election campaign um, looming, there is also the other question of he doesn't have a great record with human rights. Mm. So this could be an attempt at, hey, you know, I do care. Yeah, guys. It's, 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 it's possible that that's, uh, that's what he they are uh, trying to do or they're just trying to put pressure on China because he hasn't cared for the last three years no probably not you know and uh, I mean yes you're right the it's the the argument can be made that uh, the U.S. is not does not have the most sparkling of records when it comes to human rights either but uh, that this is an issue between two of the world's largest economies and two of the most powerful nations in the world and everybody 
is, uh, or many countries, including Singapore, might be caught in the middle of this, not just in an economic sense, but also because of the geopolitical implications of these two things. And mind you, the U.S. has also weighted in on a number of geopolitical theaters, such as what's happening in Syria, what's happening in uh, in the Middle East with Saudi Arabia and mm-hmm. Iran. Um, the fun doesn't, the party doesn't India. stop. Yeah, the party doesn't stop here. And uh, I think uh, it does have a number of analysts and strategists scratching their heads as to what exactly the plan is, if there is a plan at all, or a master plan at all from the Trump administration. Or how much do they want to push the uh, Chinese right before they start negotiating? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, well, I so don't 36 play... Away, 36 hours away, by the I way. I don't play poker with these guys, but I, I don't think I, I would survive for very long if I did. Mm-hmm. All right, Goldman is evaluating the role in China's Meg... What is that? Meg IPO. V Meg is an v. IPO that they were planning to do. Uh, they were actually planning to release because Meg V has been one of these companies that was actually blacklisted by the U.S. government because of their involvement in what's going on in the Xinjiang region. And apparently the Meg V is... Uh, they are one of the... They, they, are, they are an artificial intelligence uh, a uh, group that works on on image sen- image mm-hmm. uh, image verification, sensor verification. They sure. use facial recognition also in some of their um, the technologies and services them for nefarious reasons. And I think uh, that's the, that's the question. They have been implicated by the Trump administration as being one of those companies that is a part of the of uh, of the surveillance and the uh, supposed detention of these minority populations in the Xinjiang autonomous uh, region. Um, and uh, they have uh, decided to blacklist it. Now, Meg V was looking to IPO, actually, or to list in the public markets in Hong Kong mm-hmm. for about a billion U.S. dollars. Goldman Sachs now says that due to the recent developments, they will have to, to reevaluate and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and reassess whether or not it's the smart thing to do to go forward and list, list in the public markets. Goldman is a joint sponsor. They're not the only American bank helping or sponsoring or helping run the books for MegV's IPO. They're doing this alongside the, along, along the lights, alongside the likes of Citigroup and JP Morgan as well. So MegV operates a facial recognition platform. There it is, Face Plus Plus. And they would have become the, they would have been the first Chinese AI firm to go public if the deal goes ahead. Now, this could be something political, but it could also be uh, – there could be another um, motivation – motive for the U.S. government to go after some of these companies. Uh, China has been making rapid progress on the tech front in mm-hmm. so many ways and not just in terms of 5G. We're also talking about the, the, uh, the strides and inroads they've made in artificial intelligence, digital, digital processes also and, uh, and, and also surveillance. And maybe this, this also serves a purpose if they want to slow down China's ascent in these technologies and perhaps just create some more distance between themselves and this emerging superpower such as China, such as, uh, if we can call China that still. Um, this serves a dual purpose for them also. And, uh, and, and uh, yeah, this this but but for markets, for the sake of markets or what markets are asking themselves, this could uh, th- we could see this IPO actually put on the sidelines or perhaps scuppered altogether if uh, if Megvi is blacklisted and they will just have to depend now on the on the Chinese markets or maybe some of these emerging markets where there might be a need for facial recognition and uh, and artificial intelligence. Well, you can have facial recognition and artificial intelligence, just not from the Chinese. Probably not from the Chinese, but uh, there are other markets because five to ten years from now, you might see other countries emerging or developed looking for the uh, looking for these technologies now will the chinese be able to sell to these companies or will they be able to depend on their economy and the customers that uh, that megv has in china only until we see that the rest of the the, the world catch up also i don't know
we'll see. But uh, yeah, th- it doesn't seem that this is a done deal or a sure shot that they are going to list in the Hong Kong public markets. Okay, so in that case, everything is kind of low and everyone is kind of skittish. Where? Where do we find the value? Where do we find the profits? Well, this is an interesting uh, interview, actually, or uh, article, actually, from the Business uh, Times about where to look for where where to look for where where to look for gains returns at least according to Hoei Fuku, who's the uh, chief investment officer for DBS. Now he did point at a number of uh, stocks. Of course, he looked at the REITs again. He also looked at a number of other sectors around the world. But what he said was the case for equities is this: yes, equities might still be at high valuations because of all this easy money, because of these higher PE PE ratios at the moment. But when you look at the differentials, not among equities or not even on a on a, on a historical time frame for equities. But when you compare them between asset classes, you've got these falling bond yields against equities, then the yield premiums actually beg, uh, uh, be, uh, beg the case that maybe we should invest in equities more. Maybe equities will see rotation. But he does advocate that you have to stay defensive. So once again, the Singaporean REITs were one of his picks. But he also looked at two other sectors, uh, Chinese banks, because he believes that the uh, the pullback in Chinese banking valuations because of all of this restructuring and reorganization with regards to the banking sector, the deleveraging you're seeing in China, has brought them down to very uh, attractive valuations. He also points at oil majors in Europe per se, and uh, this is interesting because uh, because he did look at oil major, at, at oil stocks as possibly being able being able to give back a lot of dividends and a lot of uh, and a lot of uh, cash back to some other investors. This was also supported by the views of some other. Uh, of another energy research firm called Rystad Energy. And they say that the reason these oil majors are, are going to be in a position to do that is because oil majors have started to, started to consolidate a lot of their cash. They've got a lot of cash on their balance sheets because they want, they, and they always maintain big cash piles because they're looking to fund billion dollar mega projects. But one thing that's happening in the oil region, in the oil industry also, is that a lot of them are starting to slowly but surely gravitate towards wind and solar projects, renewable energy projects, and perhaps doesn't, and it doesn't, it won't um, necessitate have, holding so much cash on their balance sheet. So where, what will you do with all of this cash if you suddenly say, well, if we're doing the shift of wind and solar, mm-hmm. do we really need to hold all this cash back? What are we going to do with it? With it, one thing you they might do is start buying back shares, right. start giving out dividends or special dividends, and this uh, and if this trend does happen, according to Rystad Energy, um, we could see some of these companies, Exxon, Chevron, um, the, the likes of British Petroleum, Royal Dutch Shell, actually giving back some of these this cash. Maybe not now, maybe not next year, but in the near future. So holding a position in these companies might actually so it's a long term position. It could be a long term position also, and it's and this and uh, this view from Rystad Energy is, is in parallel with. Hoi Fook's own assessment from DBS. Now, Hoi Fook did say that he's favoring in particular European oil majors. I'm not entirely sure why he's focused on the European oil space per se, but this is where he's focusing on the likes of BP, Total, um, uh, Royal Dutch Shell, for instance. Uh, Repsol perhaps uh, might be in that equation also, but that's where he's focusing with regards to picks. And also looking at the uh, uh, double B, triple B corporate bonds right. moving forward. That one was interesting, the double B and triple B. Well, I think he's also because uh, these still are on the fringes of investment grade, but they will give you more yields than, say, some of the AAA ones. So mm-hmm. if you're looking for yields and if you really want to stay in bonds at the moment, you might want to go to corporates because they'll always give you a bit more of a premium versus sovereign yields. 
and and at these rates they're not yet junk because uh, going into junk bonds is is, is its own uh, poker game for lack yeah, of a better yeah, term you sure. might you want to be careful going into that but for, at this point he's like see, perhaps there could be a case to be made that some of these double the some of these uh, triple b rated bonds that are sort of on the junior stages of investment grade um might be more attractive than some of their bigger or more stable counterparts but still be safe enough to go into them all right. So today is Wednesday, isn't it? Isn't this all across the ASEAN? Yes, it is. All right. So who, what are you doing today? Well, we are looking at Thailand. And uh, despite all of the worries that there is a slowdown gripping Thailand, there, and uh, the Thai set is actually one of the better performing stock markets in the ASEAN region. And this also happening despite the fact that the bot has been flexing. It's like the Thai bot has hit the gym lately and they've gotten to recent to some of their strongest levels in years. And this despite the uh, worries of a global slowdown, not just in Thailand, but around the global economy. So we're, we're going to be speaking to the managing director for Maybank Kim Eng Thailand. Her name is Maria Lapis. She's based in Bangkok. And we'll be talking to her about all of these, uh, about, uh, all of these uh, factors and topics. And also just to try to answer, to answer the question as to why the Thai equity markets have been re- so resilient despite all of these headwinds. And also to get their take on why the bot has been so strong and how it's impacting some of their major economic sectors, like tourism, for instance. All righty, that sounds like it will be a good one. It is Market View here on Workday Afternoon with J.P. Young. I'm Clarissa Montero. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.